You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guy Podcast. Uh, I think this episode for me is going to be easily my favorite because I get to have the privilege of my favorite person in the whole wide world as my guest today, my wife, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly, for taking time to do this with me. I'm super excited to be here. I have to admit, we've been trying to do this for like months now. (laughs) I don't know why or how we're both so busy when we literally live in the same place, but here we are. Yeah, no, it is. It has admittedly been easier for me to schedule people. I don't really even know that well for for recording sessions. So it is, yeah, uh, nice to be able to get this done. So most people that come on the show, as I know you're probably familiar, struggle the most with the first four questions. So let's just get those out of the way so we can make this a a lot more fun conversation because these are hard. So if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want to have? Okay, this was actually pretty easy for me because I've always wished that I could be like a fly on the wall type situation. Um, And I have to laugh because we as a family just watched Encanto last night. That's good. And there was a character, the character Dolores, who can hear a pin drop. So she hears everything and knows everything that's going on. And I was just thinking like, man, that'd be nice. Um, I just like to know what's going on. I I like information. Um, Some people might call it nosy. I think that that's a mistake. I prefer the word curious. Um, As you know, I like details and I just want to know what's going on. So that would be a, uh, a superpower, superpower that I would really appreciate. So essentially you're saying you want to be like Alexa. Uh, n- <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite that. Not, not quite that, that nosy. Not quite that nosy. Picking no. up on everything. No, that's, that's taking it too far. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. Uh, what food will you not eat under any circumstances? Well, being the crazy health lady, you know that, um, I'm, you know, junk food, uh, any kind of junk food, uh, doesn't, doesn't make it past the test, but, uh, what might surprise others, uh, is olives. I'm just one of those people that despises olives. Um, I love olive oil, but I detest olives. I always feel like it's like eating eyeballs. Um, <laughs> but also the taste is just horrifying to me. So, so- olives. We are, uh, we were clearly destined to be married because I, I share that repugnance with olives and also anchovies as well. For me, They're, they seem to be almost the same type of situation and I react the same way. So I, I can completely appreciate that. All right. What's the number one thing on your bucket list? Okay. So I'm a little obsessed with what I call the 50 under 50. Um, and what that means is I'm trying to get to all. 50 states in the United States of America before turning 50. And this started years ago, decades ago, probably, with just a competition with my brother of who's been to the most states. Um, And then it got to the point where I was beating him so badly. It just (laughs) became a personal goal. 
um, that I turned into the 50 under 50 to say, I want to visit all of them before I'm 50. And I still have a nice chunk of years, I would say, to get that done. However, the pandemic did set me back a little bit. So um, I'm at 33. um, So 17 to go. And then the plan is to end in Alaska in celebration of my 50th birthday. I like it. Yeah. And I got to say, I've enjoyed that part of our of our family dynamic because growing up uh, I traveled a lot and drove a lot with my own family and it's nice to now feel like we get to share all that together and ton of fun all right besides this one of course what other podcasts would you want to recommend someone take a listen to oh I listen to so many um, but the, I'll, I'll just narrow it down to two. Um, this American Life, which I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with, it's an NPR podcast, but it's just storytelling. And it's often about current events, but it's a side of current events that you you know won't hear anywhere else. Um, or suddenly, it, or sometimes it's silly stuff or just off the wall stuff, or but it's always super interesting stories. So I love, 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 love that podcast. And that's perfect to listen to while you're like cleaning or driving or walking or whatever. And then um, have to shout out to the Rich Roll podcast. He's a vegan ultra marathon runner, you know, like 50 mile run guy who, I mean, it's, you know, I don't, I'm not in, I'm a little bit of a runner, but certainly not a marathon or ultra marathon runner, but he just has the best guests and the best information for anything health related, um, but also just a lot of mental health, emotional health. He's just got really, really interesting podcasts. So that's the Rich Roll podcast. Um, I find it very inspiring. So I always recommend that as well. Yeah, thank you. Those are, I know you've turned me on to both of those. I haven't listened to the Rich Roll, but I have enjoyed This American Life and uh, they do a great job. You know, every episode's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, You have an incredible personal story to tell. And uh, it's one that I obviously have had the privilege of of watching, being a front row seat guest to it. I want you to start by sharing this story so that way we can know this incredible journey you've been on. Sure. I'll, for everyone's sake, I'll make it a little condensed because it is a long (laughs) story. But if you want the the, all the gory details, um, certainly go to my blog, but, um, yeah, just the, the, the shorter version is I have the autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis, and it goes back to when I was 19 years old. Um, and I had been always been a healthy kid and we're talking about the nineties. Um, health wasn't really defined very well back then, I guess is to put it nicely. Um, but you know, we were the generation of, the beginning of the processed food explosion where it was the bulk of our diet. Um, and nobody knew any better. Nobody knew that we probably shouldn't be eating junk all the time, but that's what we did. Um, and by the time I was 19, I started having just some crazy gastrointestinal symptoms and, uh, sorry to be graphic, but there's no way to avoid it. That included bloody diarrhea, like endless bloody, bloody diarrhea, Um, so that went on for several weeks, um, ended up in the ER unsurprisingly and, um, was diagnosed given my first, um, colonoscopy and was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis pretty easily. It's pretty easy to catch, uh, once you get a colonoscopy. So what ulcerative colitis is, it's a 
an autoimmune disease of the large intestine, otherwise known as the colon. And what autoimmune means is something has gone wrong in your body. Uh, your wires have been crossed and your body mistakenly starts attacking itself. And it can show up you know, in many different parts of the body. But for me, for whatever reason, it was my colon. So once I was diagnosed, I was put on medications. Um, we got the flare under control and kind of held it at bay for a while there. Um, I had flares pop up uh, over the next several years, over the next 10 years, off and on. Some were more problematic than others, but each time drugs kind of got me under control, at least for the most part, off and on. And um, I, at 28, boy, it's been so long, I forget now. <laughs> at 28. Um, You're not that old. <laughs> I know, but geez. Anyway, at 28, I got pregnant with our daughter. Um, I was super fortunate to have a very healthy pregnancy, healthy birth. Um, she was healthy. I was healthy. I really didn't have any issues at all. Um, and then I, I nursed her for the next year. And then after that is when all hell broke loose. And this is something that happens to many women with autoimmune diseases that post-pregnancy, post-breastfeeding hormone shift that is just natural um, triggers flare-ups of our autoimmune disease for whatever reason. Again, we're not really sure why, but this is what happens. So that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I began what I call the mother of all flares. Um, again, to make a long story short, it was really, really bad. I was hospitalized four different times in 2010 for weeks at a time, um, just trying to get to a point where medications could help um, get me back into remission. But every time I'd get a little bit better, they'd send me home, I'd crash again. As you recall, it was quite the difficult year. Um, the telltale sign of how difficult it was that when I was um, at my worst, I weighed a whopping 84 pounds. Um, and that, that, yeah, it was, it was tough. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. Um, it was just frightening. Um, and there were threats of removing my colon via surgery, which a lot of people have to have that happen. Um, but what I would call one of those blessing in disguises is that I was actually too sick to have surgery at that point. They were afraid I wouldn't make it through the surgery. Um, so instead I was started on immune suppressing drugs, um, which back then there were a handful of them. Now there's a ton of them out there on the market. Um, but it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a drug that suppresses your immune system because again, your body is confused and it's your own immune system that is doing this damage, uh, mistakenly. So, um, after the ins and outs of the hospital and a lot of drama involving different medications and just giving it time. Finally, um, I was back in remission and I was on these medications, but through this whole process and going through all this, I felt really uneasy about having to rely on these medications. And I will say they saved my life. Uh, I'm forever grateful for them. Certainly were necessary at the time, but even just the little research and understanding I had was, wow, there are some serious side effects. There are some very scary long-term possibilities. 
And I had a baby. I was 29 years old. Um, and I just hated taking those drugs and being reliant on those drugs every single day. And I really, there, I had such a burning desire to figure out a way to get off of them. Yeah. I mean, I remember this moment, um, and it was so significant. And I mean, I mean, just, just watching you go through everything that you just described, it's, you know, (laughs) this is an audio only podcast, but if we had pictures and images, it's just, it's unbelievable. And I, and I'll never forget. I mean, I, as your husband was worried if you were going to come out of the hospital, worried if you were going to live through this. I mean, it was, it was awful. And I remember this moment that you had, that was this pivotal, pivotal, like kind of mind shift moment that really crystallized and solidified things. So I want you to talk about that um, because I remember it as well. And and I know it was so significant for you. What shifted uh, that has kind of led to all the, you know, it was the, the first domino in a series of dominoes that has really been the biggest turnaround I could have imagined. Yeah, I was really in this place. And this was again, a while after I'd been in remission, but I was still on all the drugs. And I was in this place where I was just really trying to wrap my head around uh, what the future was going to look like with this chronic disease. And um, I had a doctor's appointment with my gastroenterologist, my former gastroenterologist at the time. And I just came with my anxieties to him and just said, you know, these immune suppressants just how long am I going to have to be on them? And I will never forget. And this was such a moment for me because he kind of paused and he looked at me a little bit like I was crazy for even asking that question. And he said, for the rest of your life, like, you know, this was a foregone conclusion. And um, why didn't I understand that? And that was the moment where I was like, that's not going to work for me. That was not my verbal response to him. I wish it were at the time, but that was my internal response was, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to find a better way. It was amazing for me because it felt like the first thing that changed in you wasn't your health in that moment. It was your attitude and it was your whole approach and your mentality. You went from feeling what looked like and experiencing being beaten up by this to now, no, like this isn't going to beat me. I'm going to beat it. It was, it was incredible. And I mean, you're a fighter in, in so many ways, but just to, to see that shift, I remember when you were sharing just, you know, how you felt and what you wanted to do. Um, it was, it was pretty, I mean, you know, there's no equivalent that I can think of for me to, to see what it was like to turn that around. And that led into, um, you know, a, an interesting path that I think most people probably either don't know to take or would be too scared to take. But talk about that. Talk about the journey from that moment forward. Well, I had always been interested in nutrition um, and health in general. And when I was younger, it was more for vanity purposes, I would say. But um, certainly becoming ill with a chronic disease makes you more interested in it for other reasons. So um, I had just come across bits of and pieces of information of people um, who had had diseases, just finding their way back to health and healing and not being able or not having to live with the consequences of of their disease. And so after that doctor's appointment, I just went home and it was 
suddenly my mission to just find whatever information I could find about healing through natural ways. Um, and I always say like back then we're talking about 2010, 2000, well, it was 2011 at that point, there was not a lot of information out there in terms of healthy and healing diets and what that looked like and, and healing lifestyles. Now we have the opposite problem where there's so much information, it's incredibly confusing. Um, but at the time it was kind of hard to find, but whatever was out there, I found it and I read it and I studied it and I took notes and I started applying these things to my life. And it started with looking at my diet and understanding that the way that I had grown up eating um, and the habits that I had taken with me into adulthood uh, were likely the straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to getting this autoimmune disease because you know, autoimmune disease is genetic. Yes, but it only rears its ugly head when it's provoked to the point where it's time for it to flare up. And I had read enough at that point to truly believe that what we eat, what we put inside our body, as well as the way we lived our, live our lives have everything to do with whether or not we will be sick or continue to be sick. Yeah. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem to get much mentioned, but you know, medically speaking, they say that uh, over 80% of your immune system is connected to and contained in your, your digestive system. So the two are intertwined. So it, I mean, it seems somewhat obvious and yet that that's not really talked about too much. The idea that, you know, if a, if we eat a certain way, then B, we might have these types of experiences we understand that, like you were saying, from a, you know, a, a looks standpoint, maybe, you know, weight loss diets, this whole kind of uh, dynamic that plays out in, in our culture, but not so much this conversation of overall holistic health. No, and what, where the conversation seems to end, um, or at least more often than not seems to end is we don't talk about the fact that the majority of the American diet now is not actually real food. The majority of our diets are processed or ultra processed packaged foods that the nutrition value has basically been obliterated to the point where we have to add back in uh, vitamins um, to give them an, any kind of nutritional value. The fiber has been stripped out, all the things that our body needs, not just to function, but to stay healthy and fight off disease and kill cancer cells and um, not be chronically inflamed. Um, you know, we're, we're eating the wrong way. We're eating tons of sugar. Um, we're drinking tons of sugar and what we're not doing, um, is eating things like whole vegetables and fruit, um, other real foods, which are things like beans, legumes, whole grains, um, nuts and seeds, uh, meat that hasn't been uh, grown in a conventional manner, meat that's been uh, grass-fed beef or pastured eggs or chicken, higher quality meats and seafood, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, we're not eating the foods that our bodies are really craving. And those are the foods that provide us with the nutrition and the tools uh, to fight off disease, to heal from disease. And what I see is most important at this point to stay healed from disease. Well, and so let's, let's make sure we end the story that you started and that you've shared. 
So today, as, as, I, as I look at you now and, and say, you've, you, I don't think I've known any part of your life where you've been as healthy as you are right now, which is a serious statement that most people don't get to say, because as we do get older, it becomes harder to be healthy in some ways. So, but you, you are as healthy as I've ever seen you. Um, how did that happen? And, and kind of what has led to you being in this place and, and talk about some of the details as well, because it's important to quantify that. Yeah, well, I certainly wouldn't call it the end of the story because this is ongoing forever and ever more. But um, basically, once I became aware, started to become aware of all the things that I just said about our diet and our lifestyle, I really started to make changes. And I was able to start coming off the immune suppressants. And that's because the side effects were so bad after just less than a year of being on them. Even my doctor said, yeah, let's try taking you off of them. And I think, you know, he thought I was going to come back with a flare again right away. But in my mind, it was like, no, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I immediately tried some diet changes. Again, I go into the specifics of kind of my journey through uh, understanding about different diets and my blog, but the bottom line is it was a shift and it was a shift towards the real food that I was just mentioning. Um, it's really not a whole lot more complicated than that is, is what I know now. Um, at the time it was complicated just because this was all brand new information. Um, but what I see now is it's just that shift away from what is not real food to what is real food? The author, Michael Pollan, uh, who wrote the book that I highly recommend called In Defense of Food, he sums it up best. He um, refers to the American diet as we're eating, quote, edible food-like substances. And that's kind of my favorite word because I'm like, that really opened your eyes, doesn't it? Well, yeah, no, I mean, you and I joke all the time how, you know, you need like a chemistry to degree to look at and understand the nutritional content of most things that you find on the shelves in the grocery store. If you look in, it's not, you know, you've got more chemicals listed than it, it seems like you have actual ingredients. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing to me to pull off, you know, the, the average kid's cereal box and then read the ingredients. And if any of us knows what one tenth of them is, then, you, you know, it seems like you're a genius at that point, but it's, it's just crazy. Right. And our society is telling us, oh, this is fine. Eat this. This is great. This is good for you. And um, that's just not true. It's just not true. And the proof is in the pudding um, to the point where why are chronic diseases and cancers and diabetes and obesity, why are these things just exploding over the last few decades and now more than ever? But anyway, we we tangent again off from the rest of the story. Uh, I get a little excited and you get excited about this topic too. But the bottom line is I um, was able to come off the immune suppressant drugs. I was able to come off all drugs. It has been um, over 10 years now, uh, almost 11 years that I have been drug-free, uh, but more importantly, of my chronic disease, ulcerative colitis, I have been flare-free for 12 years. And I say that with just the utmost gratitude and humility because yeah, I've done a lot of hard work to get to this place, but it is also just a gift and I can't, a gift that I can't take credit for is, is the bottom line, but I have learned so much, which I do feel like 
has greatly contributed to me getting to this point. And I have now made it my mission to um, continue to learn, first and foremost, always, but um, equally to share it with others in the hopes that people can really have these experiences as well. People can be free from their sickness and disease. Um, I always remember what I was feeling as that 29-year-old new mother, young woman trapped in the hospital night after night, not getting better, not knowing what to do, feeling just so desperate and alone and scared and what I wouldn't have given for someone to say, this is the way, <laughs> follow it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean, again, over a decade long health and continued health. And, you know, I don't see you going back anytime soon and not just what it's meant for you, but what it's done for our family, the kind of lifestyle and, and, and the healthy diet that we all enjoy, I think uh, has been just incredible. And um, yeah, this, this, I really was cheering you on when you decided that you wanted to blog about this, uh, to your point of wanting to share this story so that other people can see that there's a better way. And you decided to pick up the moniker, the crazy health lady. There's a little bit of funny uh, story behind that. So let's, what, what made you decide on landing the crazy health lady? Well, you know, I knew I wanted to do a blog. And of course, one of the hardest things is always coming up with titles for these kind of things. So you and I were kind of bantering back and forth, throwing out different ideas. You know, some of them I liked, some of them I was like, yeah, I mean, I like it. I don't love it. Um, and then I think it was pretty much together. We came up with the crazy health lady. And as I mentioned before, we grew up, we were teenagers in the nineties. So, um, all I could think of was from the Simpsons, <laughs> the crazy cat lady who's, you know, throwing cats. And I just envisioned myself like with wild hair, like throwing carrots and apples and, <laughs> and it just, yeah, it, it just clicked. I mean, we love the Simpsons and <laughs> it just made sense. So look for my future uh, branding and logo design to involve a crazy uh, health lady throwing fruits and vegetables. Perfect. I love it. So let's discuss something I know you and I have talked about a lot. And I mean, especially recently, it just seems like every time that we turn on the TV, you know, there's advertisements for immunosuppressants and a ton of different drugs that are designed to treat the symptoms of various chronic illnesses which like you mentioned before, there seems to be no shortage of uh, in today's environment, in today's culture and society. But I think the thing that has always troubled me the most is that word chronic. It's because it seems to be said very casually and um, just we kind of seem to accept this notion of you know having a chronic condition, but it doesn't seem to be much of the discussion when it comes to chronic conditions that there's any real thought to treat the root causes or that there's a way to actually get somebody healed. Um, so how, how, you know, that word chronic and how, how does that land for you? Yeah, well, I think that you said it, that it's, it's a mindset. Um, and I feel like it's an antiquated mindset, but it's still very much embraced in our culture and in certainly in the medical conventional medical field, um, that when you're diagnosed with a chronic condition, 
the understanding, just like my old gastroenterologist had was, well, you have this for the rest of your life. You'll be taking medications for the rest of your life. And sorry, that's, you know, you drew the short straw. That's just your luck and uh, good luck living with it. And uh, good luck still living a long and happy and healthy life. So um, I think that's, that's the first thing is we need to stand up and say, why, why, why does this have to be chronic? Especially if it is something that our diet and our lifestyle made happen, or at least greatly contributed to. Um, If the way that we eat and our other ways that we live our life can bring on this disease, why can't changes in the way that we eat and changes in the way that we live make this disease go away or at least significantly improve? And, you know, when you say chronic, I I remember feeling this way. I remember when I was 19 and diagnosed and being told I have this disease that is incurable, uh, which of course is the definition of chronic. Um, And this is it. You have it forever. And it feels like you're being given a life sentence um, that you're not going to get out of this. Uh, Now I know that this does not necessarily have to be the case. There are things that we can do to heal ourselves. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's what I want to, I want to dive deeper into the lifestyle component of this and really how you have approached not just eating healthy, but being healthy. So can you talk through what that has looked like um, and kind of cover all of the ways that you've pursued overall health, not just dietary health? Yeah, it's certainly not just dietary, but I will say if you do nothing else, changing your diet is massively significant and it is the most important thing. What we put in our bodies um, equips us for healing or, or disease. It's one or the other. So first and foremost is diet, but yes, there are other things that are super important. Um, right now, (laughs) stress management, um, it's been a challenging few years and unfortunately it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. Um, stress management is critical, especially with, well, I mean, with any disease, but with autoimmune disease, flares can be caused um, stress can be the trigger that, that causes flares. Um, and our culture certainly doesn't help. Our culture just pushes, 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 go, go, go do more, more, more. Um, the standards keep being raised and it's just, it's no wonder, um, we're all stressed out. And especially as women, we are absolutely told we have to do it all. Um, and so it's pushing back against that. It's, it's deciding that I'm not going to just go with the Joneses on this one. I'm going to push back and I'm going to um, be a little countercultural. And for me, an example of that is ever since being sick, um, I kind of made a personal decision. I'm never going to go back to like a full-time job, like nine to five type situation, commuting, just in all the stress that goes along with it. I've worked part-time ever since um, in jobs that I've enjoyed and found a lot of fulfillment in. But for me personally, doing that nine to five, five days a week uh, was just going to add too much stress to my life. And some people can do that fine if you love your job, if you love what you do. But for me, that was just a personal decision that I wanted to make space in my life um, for other things. And what I mean by other things is other forms of self-care. And of course, for us as a family, um, we had to 
you know, understand the financial consequence of that. And uh, you work really hard <laughs> as a result. Um, but also we, we live a pretty frugal lifestyle. Um, we don't uh, spend money unnecessarily, which I know we'll talk about money later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, basically by managing my own time and not having someone else manage it for me, I have time to do the self-care things that help me with my stress. And one of those things is therapy. I have an amazing therapist. I always say that I think every person should be in therapy, even if you don't think you need it, that's probably a sign that you need it. (laughs) Um, Just having someone uh, to even just get stuff off your chest to without any kind of judgment or emotional reaction is just vital. And um, I credit my therapist with really helping me stay healthy and especially mentally and emotionally. And then we have to talk about exercise. Exercise is not just good for our bodies, which of course it is, but it's good for our mind. I mean, I really think it's equal. I think getting ourselves in strong physical condition um, is of course very important when it comes to fighting off disease and and, um, staying free from things like flares. But um, it also, it does so much for us mentally that it's, I think that's equally beneficial uh, when it comes to exercise. So I always say, try to get exercise every day. It doesn't have to be like you're doing a hard two hour lifting session in the gym or you're running a half marathon, like just go for a good walk, do a really nice yoga class uh, or whatever it is that you enjoy. What's, what's the kind of exercise routine that you're most likely to stick to? Well, that's the one that you actually enjoy doing. So find what you like to do and just build it into your day. Make sure it's a part of your day every day. And then we're talking about other tools like meditation, visualization. I'm an extrovert. So for me, a part of self-care is spending time with my friends and making sure I'm doing that at minimum once a week um, and just getting out there and being with other people. Again, this has been challenging over the last few years, um, which has not made things easy for us extroverts, but now it's a lot easier. So that's super important. And that's something that I prioritize. And there's many, many other things in the healing toolbox. I could talk about this all day, as you know, um, but I do not want to forget to mention sleep. And I think sleep is the most underrated tool in the healing toolbox. Going back to when I was recovering and when I was getting back into remission, I would sleep like 10, 11, 12 hours a night um, because that is what my body needed. It needed that time because what happens when we sleep? Our body is healing, repairing, killing off cancer cells, um, all of these things that are so vital. And so many of us do not give ourselves sufficient time uh, to allow for our body to handle that and to do everything that it needs to do. And that's certainly contributing to um, disease and to lack of healing from chronic disease. So I would say absolutely make sleep a huge priority, whatever it takes. Um, Don't need 12 hours, but (laughs) the minimum of eight, a lot of people do good somewhere between eight and nine is their sweet spot. So just if you're getting way less than that, um, I would definitely suggest you really consider um, making it more of a priority. I want to, I want to go kind of back to a bit of a theme that what you shared touched on, but I think is so significant 
is that these changes that you've made come from a place of value alignment, right? We, we as, a, as a family, you as an individual made decisions that, you know, it wasn't about, hey, I'm going to eat and exercise a certain way to, to look like X, Y, and Z. You really said, no, like I, I, I want to have, I want to live and be an amazing mom. That's really important to me. Family's really important to me. And that was the place that we started from. And that was the first filter that then we had to fit all of these things through. And I think that that's really important. It's something that um, we've had to constantly, I think, hold ourselves to, uh, you know, as a couple and as a family is to say, you know, these are the things that we value more than all of these other things. And so by putting that first, it's made it you know, easier, not necessarily easier, but it's really allowed us to stay true to ourselves to create this type of a dynamic rather than getting off course or feeling like we had to be driven by other things. So talk about some of that, you know, how, how do values, like you said, you, you decided that working full-time wasn't going to be the case. Yeah. I think the big shift for me that happened, um, and this is a shift that can happen naturally, but for me, it was certainly pushed to pushed by not knowing um, if I was going to make it out of the hospital, if I was going to make it home and have a chance to be a mom um, and live the rest of my life. So the word I use is simplicity, just realizing that so much of our lives is just excess. It's just so unnecessary. And it goes back to the stress management. We're so stressed because so much of what we do and have to handle and even have to think about is just unnecessary. So it's kind of just getting back to basics, like, and it's personal for, for each person. It's not the same for everyone, but for me, like you said, I wanted to, to, a chance to be a mom. And I certainly wanted a chance to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and to figure out how I could give back and how I could really find things that were fulfilling in my life. But first I had to get there. And so by kind of cutting out all of the excess, I, I mean, we definitely live again, I'll use that term, pretty countercultural lifestyle. Uh, we live in a two-bedroom condo, urban condo. Um, we really don't have that much stuff. <laughs> we we uh, walk more than we drive. We have one car. We and have we've one, had one car, car for and it's a long time. super old. And I pray that it continues to it, last. <laughs> it, it's, it's been a great, it was a great <laughs> buying experience and the cost of ownership has been terrific, um, but we're not pouring money down the drain for two cars and a bunch of insurance and all the other stuff. And we, I mean, the big thing is we don't, and, and both of us, I, we're, for, we're fortunate that both of us feel the same. We don't, we don't value possessions. We value experiences. So our focus and our, our extra money goes to things like vacations or even just, you know, going to different museums or activities. And I just, we find so much more fulfillment out of that. And then uh, the benefit is not getting burdened with a ton of stuff that we then have to take care of and deal with and manage and is in your face all day long. Um, yeah. And then going back to work, you know, just really, we both work really hard to manage our own schedules because if you don't manage your own schedule, somebody else is going to manage it for you. So all of these things uh, work in tandem to make a more simple lifestyle and our diet is included with that we have a more simple diet because we yes, eat we real whole whole foods and that doesn't mean we don't eat amazing foods and i haven't 
learned how to cook really amazing recipes, but it just keeps things simple. Um, we know what we need in the house at all times and we make sure that we have that. So yeah, simplicity. I mean, some say minimalism, but it's, it's, to me, it's more simplicity and it just runs all across the spectrum. It's not like, you know, we have 15 items that we own and, you know, this, the stereotype of minimalists that they're like some kind of freaks who just try not to own anything. It's not like that at all. It's more the simplicity factor that keeps our stress levels lower than they would be otherwise. And I wholeheartedly believe contributes to uh, not just my overall health, but the health of Brian and our daughter as well. Well, yeah. I mean, we both agreed that, you know, we were making sacrifices in all the wrong places. You know, we were sacrificing our mental health for work or, you know, whatever else was going on for the busyness of life. You know, we were sacrificing, you know, our time in the wrong places. There's a sacrifice to be made, but we didn't want it to be our health, our, our, our mental, emotional, physical health, even our financial health. Um, and I think that that's been a pretty significant, um, I don't want to say discovery, but an understanding that when we made these shifts, it really actually freed us up. So if we're going to sacrifice something, it's going to be for, you know, us having a better lifestyle, uh, us having better health, us having uh, more time for the things that we say are important to us. Uh, and that's been, I think, you know, all of the benefits that came out of this, that it wasn't where we started from, but that's definitely where it's taken us. Yeah. And I mean, our life's not perfect, obviously, but I often think, boy, how much harder would it be if we didn't focus on the things that we do focus on? And um, I think you said it initially to start this conversation that it goes back to figuring out what your priorities are um, and starting from there and then making adjustments from, from that place of this is my list of priorities. What do I need to do to line my life and my lifestyle up with these priorities? And sometimes it's small things and sometimes it's blowing up your whole life as it is <laughs> and kind of starting over. And that's okay because it can totally be worth it. So I know we mentioned it earlier, but I want to circle back and now kind of go through this intersection of health and finances. Uh, and let's start with the big picture. Um, you know, frankly, what is the state of the financial and fiscal health of our country? Well, when we look at these chronic conditions, uh, the last time I checked statistics was a little while ago, but this will give us a little bit of a picture. Heart disease and stroke cost uh, to the healthcare system annually about $214 billion uh, plus $138 billion in lost job productivity. Cancer, we're looking at $174 billion in total costs annually. Diabetes, $327 billion. Obesity, Alzheimer's disease, I mean, we're in, you know, hundreds of billions. So that's pretty, uh, pretty high numbers there. Yeah. I mean, I think it, <laughs> we add all this up. It, it is obvious that um, not being healthy is expensive. And while uh, a lot of times that burden maybe doesn't loom over someone's head individually, uh, let's kind of dig deeper and look at, well, okay, uh, what can be some very personal level impacts to our finances when it comes to our health? Well, yeah, when talking about the individual, I mean, poor health is expensive. 
co-pays, co-insurance, deductibles, out-of-pocket expenses all add up and can add up tremendously. Um, We're also talking about the time lost from work that you have to spend going to the doctor or in treatments or just homesick. Uh, opportunity costs, all you could have done with that time had you felt better. Uh, And then we have to talk about long-term care, which is extremely expensive and is the greatest threat to a person's retirement savings. And I think we're starting to see that more and more that people have saved so much, but they lose it all because of a uh, a condition that requires long-term care. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's almost as we <laughs> kind of talk about some of the amazing advances uh, we've we've had in, in medicine, the fact that we can now help ourselves live longer in some respects, but sometimes living longer in an unhealthy manner uh, is certainly expensive. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting duality to that. And I'm glad you kind of went through many of those personal financial elements. I know I, I've seen Remember when I was in banking and I saw that, you know, one of the top three reasons people uh, struggle with debt or declare bankruptcy is due to unpaid medical bills. Uh, I remember getting some of the, the uh, statements back when you were being treated and what the cost of those treatments were. And it was astounding. I remember one bill in particular where one of the drug regimens cost over $10,000 and it was just I mean, again, thank thank goodness we did have insurance, but um, you know the the evidence was very clear that uh, this was going to be a very costly dynamic if you had to continue to live with it for these last ten years. So thank goodness you didn't have to. I think the other thing that I think of again um, on a very personal level is the cost of something as simple as life insurance. Uh, we've set up you know a plan to protect ourselves and and one another and, and our daughter. Um, but getting you, first of all, getting you covered to begin with was hard and it was a lot more expensive. And that cost has actually gone down uh, by over 60% since we've been able to get uh, more uh, more affordable coverage because you've gotten healthier. So that's another tangible place uh, where, you know, it does, it does not just pay to be healthier, but it, it can save us in the long run. What are some other things that you've seen that, you know, where these these things kind of connect to each other? Well, it's all connected. And it's funny because a quote comes to mind from the Princess Bride. Uh, Count Rugen said, if you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. And that's so true. It's all connected. Physical health, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial health. If one is out of whack, then it's going to impact all the others. So it's all connected. Uh, Going back to stress, stress management, Everyone knows if you have money problems, it's very stressful, uh, especially if that problem is lack of money or mismanagement of money. Uh, money isn't everything, but it sure helps. <laughs> yep. uh, but uh, the other side of that coin, literal coin, is more money, more problems. And that's why uh, proper management of money and things like estate planning uh, life insurance planning, that all is so vital that things are in proper order because if everything's being managed well, it's a lot less stressful. Um, and just one more thing to note on life insurance, we can do everything perfectly. We can eat the perfect diet. We can exercise every day. We can spend so much time on self-care and then we can still go out and get hit by a bus tomorrow morning. So yeah, it should definitely, uh, I'm a big believer in life insurance. 
um, because again, that's going to reduce the stress of the loved ones that you leave behind. And then if I may, just one more thing I want to add that I think is very important is giving back oh, yeah. financially, um, giving to charitable organizations every month or at least every year, um, giving as much as you can or even a little more than you think you can, uh, because that's just so important. I mean, we're doing good for others, but obviously the impact it, it is it has on ourselves is, is so worth it too. Um, we want to feel connected to others, uh, especially others in need uh, who are less fortunate than ourselves. Um, it does a lot for our own men mental health to feel like, even though it, it oftentimes doesn't feel like there's much we can do, at least that's something we can do. We can financially give. So glad you covered all of those areas. And yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, some of the, the, basic places that I, I see on a, on a regular basis and what we do uh, working with people financially, you know, the, the number one place you can see this direct impact is in your budget. You know, what do we spend money on a month over month basis? Uh, because, you know, in, in one respect, you can be spending it on prescriptions and doctor's visits, but if we shift and have a healthier dynamic, uh, then that, you know, we can reallocate those things you know, from insurance costs. Uh, I know we live uh, a relatively simple and frugal life and that really does help, but it, it also reduces our insurance expense uh, in the aggregate. And then the things that we save for, like you said, we save for certainly the, the common things in terms of, you know, college and, and education and retirement, but we also have more money directed towards the things that we like to do together as a family uh, and I think that that's uh, so important. And it does, you know, all of these things, when they connect together, really create a better living experience where your health is optimal in all places, financially, mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually. And uh, yeah, it really does set one up for uh, an optimal success over time. So money and health crossover a lot more than I think we realize. And that's why it's so, I'm so glad that you joined me today to talk through this in a, in a very real way. And uh, I hope it's also really encouraging. I mean, the, you know, I know I've seen you go through something that most people, you know, could not imagine. Uh, and to see you come out the other side and to see all the ways that it has impacted us has just been phenomenal. Thank you for sharing. So, you know, to bring things kind of to a close, talk about how you are uh, giving back. Talk about uh, the Crazy Health Lady, your blog, and things that you would want people to be able to take advantage of and all of the resources that they have if this is something they really want to think about for themselves. Yeah, so it is, it's something that I had been thinking about over the years of, you know, once I got to the point where I could comfortably feel like, wow, I'm really not going to get sick again from this, um, was I've stumbled upon something here that I really want to share with others. And I kept saying that I kept saying that. And then when COVID struck, and then those early months when we were all just home all day, every day, it was kind of like, okay, no more excuses. I need to sit down and start this blog. And you rightfully were shaming me like, why haven't you done this yet? <laughs> and I had no good answer. So encouraging, not shaming. <laughs> well, rightfully shaming. Reminding. <laughs> um, to me, it's like, okay, this is an easy thing I can do. I hope it's just the beginning of just writing this blog. And I've done a few presentations and 
um, speaking engagements, just whatever I can do to get this message out there. Because again, it's just, it's so simple. This is not complicated stuff. People just need the information. And I totally get that. And I want to be that person that, that shares my experience because, you know, people can, can give information all day long, but it's the personal experience that really gets to people and makes them think, oh, well, if this worked for you, maybe it can work for me too. And just going back to when I was that scared and desperate 29 year old mom in the hospital, I just, I would have given anything for somebody to come and, and help me through that. So that's the person that I'm trying to be for other people now. Um, and, you know, certainly not in it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> um at all because there is no money <laughs> um yeah but I just yeah yeah maybe, maybe someday we'll see yeah just I really want to be that person so I started crazyhealthlady.com is the blog where I just kind of have shared my story and what I found worked and then just kind of my thoughts on all things health related and so far it's been great I've had such a good reception from people um which of course makes me feel really good that it's it's worth doing but um it makes me feel amazing that it's really the word is starting to get out there and i'm so happy and i just would would love to continue that and find other ways to do more of that too well and, and the thing that i've um really enjoyed about your blog is the ways that you give some very practical kind of initial steps so you know anybody that's trying to come at any one of the things that we've talked about, you have some really tremendous resources that will help somebody at least take that first step. You know, maybe not all of the steps necessary, but I think you've really laid things out in such a way that, you know, people can grab hold of it and start to move in that positive direction. And that's so critical. Sometimes it's the first step is the hardest to take. Yeah. And that's always my goal. Like, I'm not going to be like, here are the 14 things you need to do. Like, I want someone to walk away with yeah, one or two ideas, because I don't pretend for one second that I've arrived and that suddenly I know everything there is to know about healing and staying healed, like not even remotely. I'm very open about that, but I do know what's worked and what's been helpful. And I try to just give, yeah, give people tidbits to walk away and, and then go on, on their own journey of discovery, just like I went on mine. Well, I thank you for joining us. This conversation has been fantastic. You have certainly will always be my favorite guest, so I appreciate it. Remind everybody how they can find you online so that they can start following the Crazy Health Lady. Sure, it's crazyhealthlady.com. And if you're on Facebook, I have a Crazy Health Lady page and you can actually message me directly from there. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Just connect with anyone who would find it beneficial right now. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. 
The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA CIPIC.